there's strategy from two perspectives there. And I think that's what gives us an edge is that, you know, we've got the investor brain, but we also have the designer brain. So for us, we're just, you know, we're first hospitality, second investment. And we have just lived and died by that mentality that if we take care of the guest experience, then the ROI will follow. You know, we're batting 100%. (laughs) Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I'm your host, part-time late-night DJ, Yona Weiss, on another episode of Weiss Advice. So excited to be here with Sarah Glidewell from the Carwells. And you're living in a car. I mean, I don't know if that's part of it, but (laughs) not exactly. (laughs) That I am. You're not wrong. And thank you so much for having me on. That's a pleasure. So you guys, if you're watching this, you can see that she's like in some sort of a bus. She lives in a bus. Sarah, how did you end up living in a bus? This is a story (laughs) I want our listeners to know. Yes. I mean, it completely relates back to our real estate investing journey. When I first started real estate investing, I'm very, very hands-on. So I really struggled with like automating, delegating, handing things off to other people, trusting that others could do it. And my husband loves old vehicles and loves anything that's like kind of non-traditional, I suppose. And so at the time we had a Volkswagen Vanagon and it was a pop top, slept four people, very small though. You know, it's just the size of a typical van. And so when we had built the arbitrage portfolio and I couldn't get my hands out of the mix of things, he was like, Sarah, let's get in the van. Let's do the remote life thing. Like my job's remote. Your job should be remote if you'd let it be. (laughs) And so we got in the van expecting to be gone a month. And ended up never coming back. And so for the last two and well, yeah, I guess just under two years, we've been what we like to call chronically homeless. (laughs) We have either lived in the van for ended up living in the van for six months. And then we've lived in Airbnbs ever since then, whatever one that we're working at the time will like park the van in the driveway, live in a construction zone. And three, maybe two or three months ago, my husband found this bus on Facebook Marketplace of last year was just awful. There were a lot of things that happened in my personal life and in my professional life that just mentally and emotionally destroyed me in a lot of ways. And so we kept going back to the fact that we were happiest when we were on the road in the Mm. van. And so my husband was like, Sarah, I just feel like we need another era on the road. I feel like we need to take a step back. And so I was like, I don't have the capacity to think about a bus right now. Like, this is crazy. Like, why are we adding something onto our already extremely full plates? And one night I was just at my wits end and I was like, you're right. I don't think we can afford not to buy the school bus. (laughs) So within 20 minutes, my husband was sending the owner money to stop anyone else from looking at the bus. And then a couple of weeks later, we were all moved in and here we are. (laughs) So it's a fully functional, livable, converted school bus. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. The owners did a great job. I mean, I'm an interior designer, right? So I definitely am going to be changing some of the finishes and putting my touch on it, but Mm -hmm. it is fully functional and fully livable. That's so cool. So let's take a few steps back because I just forcefully jumped in on the school bus thing because I just couldn't, you know, I'm staring at it and just can't really get beyond (laughs) it. So for whatever reason, (laughs) you are a designer, you do a lot of 
short-term rental, Airbnb work. How did you get involved in this? And you know, where has it kind of led you till now? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Airbnb was, I guess if we want to go all the way back, me and my husband, I was in architecture. My husband had his own insurance agency and his entire goal when he first started that entire insurance agency was to retire me. And for me, I mean, he's a born and raised Southern gentleman, you know, he's imagining that he's the provider and he's got a stay at home wife and that is his responsibility. And although I love him for that, I am not the stay at home wife type that was going to put me in a mental headspace that I did not want to be in. So I made him a deal that if he did want to retire me, then our roles would shift and he would make the money and I would make the money grow. And so that was kind of our, you know, pivot point where it gave me something to chase. And so we started living that way. And at the time I had a nine to five. And so we just immediately switched all of our finances to only live on his income and to immediately start trying to grow my income. And so I was in like a little bit of a mental race because I wanted to retire myself before my husband retired me, which I beat him by a couple of months, which was great. That's so cool. Um, Yeah. And so that's kind of what sparked this entire Airbnb journey. But just, you know, me being an interior designer by trade and wanting to find an avenue that kind of fit with my current gifts and talents and Airbnb was that answer. So here we are. That's so cool. And I've seen, you know, for those of you guys don't know, she's has an amazing social media presence. And I mentioned the Carwells before you out of a partner who do a lot of Airbnb design and arbitrage and ownership and work and stuff like that. And you've walked through, you know, processes like from beginning to end and every stage and tips along the way. And I've learned a tremendous amount. I mean, you're on the road, but you're able to do it functionally remotely. So how does that work? I mean, a lot of people think Airbnbs, you have to, even though you can do some of this stuff remotely, you have to still be involved, you know, in getting it set up or whatever. Right. Yeah. And that's a big challenge. I mean, again, going back to me not being able to like have my hands in it, I am queen of admitting that I am awful at delegating. And it's just because I want things to be a certain standard. And I want really, if we're looking at like a macro level of what my dream is, it's for people to be able to look at a car wall property and feel like they do when they walk into a Marriott, where they know that they're getting this standard experience that's not going to have missing cups and mismatched furniture and, Mm. you know, like half effort, I guess, in these properties. And so although we could probably automate it even more, what it looks like now is we have phases that we're boots on the ground, and we are really in the trenches putting these properties together alongside of our team. And then when we get burnt out of that, instead of trying to continue to push through it and continue to scale properties, we'll just take a step back, take a beat, enjoy the lifestyle that is this has allowed us to live and move at more of a sustainable pace, a pace that feels right for us. So when we are not putting together a property, we don't outsource it. We don't ask other people to do it. We just then kind of dive back into the community side of things and the social media side of things and spend our time pouring into other hosts while we have the time and then revert back when we're ready to start another property. Oh, cool. When you say pouring into other hosts, you mean like you're helping with property management or design or other things like that of other people's properties? Yeah. Yeah. We've switched our offering a few times over the years, especially last year. We've gone through several different phases. But right now we're working on a mentorship that we're offering for people. And we've got a Discord channel that we're low-key starting in a couple of weeks. So we're really trying to build out that community and kind of streamline it. So we've got one place for people to kind of gather and learn behind Mm. us. 
Okay. All right. I mean, that's cool. That that really does allow you to open up to, I mean, a really new age of, of customer experience and support, which is that community feeling really more than right. anything else. And that's pretty awesome taking that. I know there are a lot of other groups that do similar things like Facebook groups and these type of stuff where they're providing so much constant information and interaction, but when you can channel it in a way that you can actually get paid for it as well, you know, along the way, that's really the goal. So take us back a little bit. I mean, you talked about like you working the money, right? <laughs> making the money work for you and then retiring yourself. Walk me through like, what does that even mean? Like, I'm just trying to think for myself, like, how do I do yeah. that? And yeah. a lot of our listeners also probably think, hey, I want to retire myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when I was going to college to be an interior designer, I had parents who were super plugged in. And so I was very fortunate to have that. And at the time, of course, college, you know, people my age are all buried under student loan debt. Mm-hmm. And I would have been in the same exact situation had I not had my dad sit me down and just be like, Sarah, I love that you're creative. I love that you're pursuing your passion. But at the end of the day, the interior designers of the world make between thirty-eight and $50,000 a year. And so that is your reality. Like if you want to pursue this, but by all means, go pursue it, but don't get yourself in a ton of student loan debt. And so I went to a less expensive college. I was super cognizant of how much money I was putting, you know, into this education and how long it was going to take me to pay it off. And so mm-hmm. I moved down to Texas because they paid more <laughs> and I wanted to get that student loan debt removed. And so I spent a year paying back my student loan debt and then spent a year after that just saving up the money that I had put towards my student loans just in the bank. And so I saved up 20 grand and I heard this thing called arbitrage. And I was like, you know what? I think that this really could, you know, fit well into our lifestyle. And so we started pursuing that. And I had calculated that, you know, the arbitrage units in a very conservative market would make about 12 grand a year that would go back actually into my pocket. And so I needed four of those to replace my current income. And so we found four arbitrage opportunities. I poured all $20,000 into those four arbitrage opportunities in March of 2020. Perfect perfect timing. And then a week later, COVID hit. And they were all in downtown Dallas. So they weren't in remote markets. They were in markets that absolutely got hit the hardest. And so I didn't retire myself for a year longer than I thought I was going to retire myself. It was a long game. I basically made no money for an entire year. I just stayed in the black is what I like to say. It wasn't in the green. It wasn't in the red. It was just basically breaking even every single month. And so as a pivot or a panic pivot, Emily and I decided to start an interior design business focused around short-term rentals because Mm -hmm. there were so many people in the space that I was rubbing shoulders with that were just dropping the ball on the design front. Sure. And so that's what we started doing all throughout COVID was designing for other people because my savings was depleted and my business was not thriving. (laughs) And so in that, we got to learn a lot from other investors. We got to rub shoulders with the right people. We got to learn their tricks of the trade. We got to earn some money and we got to just kind of, you know, keep everything at bay for a year and really focus on education until we were ready to start reinvesting. And so Mm -hmm. it was a really hard year, but we came through it. And on the other side of that, once COVID eased up, all of a sudden I was making the money I was anticipating making. I left my nine to five and we haven't looked back. (laughs) That's awesome. And you're still going strong with those arbitrage properties? Yeah. So out of the arbitrage properties in Texas, we have collapsed a few, but they did their job of earning enough money for us to then pivot into purchasing properties. Mm -hmm. So 
Last year, we purchased three properties in Michigan from the money that we've made from the arbitrage properties and the properties that we started in Michigan. And we are just, you know, again, because we had structured our finances where we're living on my husband's income, we have reinvested 100% of the money that we have earned from Airbnb, which is been the reason we've been able to scale kind of quickly. That's awesome. I mean, and that's really, like you said, reinvesting your earnings is the fastest way to grow and compound that growth, which a lot of people don't think about. People think about numbers and ROI and making those returns. And then you don't really necessarily plug in like the after-tax benefit as well. But when you're plugging in a lot of tax strategies, as I know you are, is it just helps to grow that wealth so much faster And so talk me through, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to hear because you have a different view. I've talked to hundreds of people who invest in Airbnbs and short-term rentals, but you have the design factor in it, which really puts you at a a much higher level than the average person. And even more so, I loved how you kind of spoke about earlier, like people walking into a Carwell property, like you know what you're walking into, having that brand or having that experience, which I think is the key two successful short-term rental properties is the experience. So talk me through from a design perspective, because I don't know much about design, to be honest. I mean, you can see my plain brick wall over here. It's actually a virtual screen. So you don't even know what's behind (laughs) me, but talk me through how that puts you at an advantage and what that means when you talk about like the branding of your properties. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're talking about the most passionate. Oh yeah. That's, oh yeah. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. So, I mean, when we pivoted to designing for other people, we didn't understand the impact design and amenities was going to have on our clients' ROIs. Like, we just love design, right? That was our gifts and talents. And we were trying to not sink the other business. And, but what we did do that was incredibly beneficial was we asked our clients to give us the numbers from before we design and give us the numbers after we design because a lot of the clients we were working with were having facelifts on existing properties. And so what we started learning really quickly was that once we were through with the design and we were making these units that were much more bold, much more thoughtful, much more experience-based, they were seeing anywhere from a 30 to 50% increase in their overall profitability. And so for us, you know, we really didn't understand how to sell ourselves before we had those numbers. But after we had those numbers, it it put us in a position where we could talk to investors in the way that they understood best. Mm, And so for us, you know, it was just passion, but we really had to learn how to sell ourselves to an investor because typically with interior design, you're selling yourself to the wife and it's an emotional decision and they want a space that looks beautiful, that makes them feel a certain type of way in their own home. And so you're playing on their emotions and that is not the case with investors, right? Investors are 100% numbers driven. It has to make sense. It has to be worth their time and their money. Mm-hmm. And so we you know, have just kind of pushed that barrier because as you know, and being in this industry for a minute, the standard of design has gotten higher and higher and higher. But two years ago, even you could throw a $300 futon in a unit and you could be turning crazy profit. And so it didn't give investors any motivation to push that barrier at all. They were like, this is cheap, easy, quick, like we're moving on. But we did have a couple investors that were willing to take the gamble on us. And so the second we started pushing that barrier, ever since then, we've been continuing to push it. And we've just seen it every single time make a huge impact. So for us, when we think about it, we're thinking about high touchpoint areas for the guest. We are thinking about if we are the guest, 
and we are in this property, what portions of this property are we going to be using the most? What's going to make the biggest impact on our overall experience in there? And how do we still pay attention to where those investors' dollars are being spent? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, just because it looks pretty does not mean it has an ROI attached to it. Right. So there's strategy from two perspectives there. And I think that's what gives us an edge is that you know we've got the investor brain, but we also have the designer brain. So for us, we're just, you know, we're first hospitality, second investment. And we have just lived and died by that mentality that if we take care of the guest experience, then the ROI will follow. You know, we're batting a hundred percent. There you go. That's an excellent, excellent numbers there. And the properties yeah. that you, you mentioned the first ones you were doing with arbitrage were in kind of centralized locations, Dallas metro area, which is not a vacation, you know, area per se. But in Michigan, where you have the investment properties, are those vacation areas or are they just kind of short term? Like normally, I don't know anything about Michigan short term rental market. Yeah, yeah. I always tell people I'm a bad investor. I like go against all the investor standards. For me, there's no reason why these properties on paper should have been great investments. All three of the properties that we've pursued in Michigan did not comp well on AirDNA. They did not pull numbers that were glamorous by any stretch of the imagination. But I was looking for one, did they have decent occupancy? And two, is there big room for improvement with what's existing on the market currently? And so when we walk into a market, all three of the markets that we've walked into in Michigan, we have not had comps that are apples to apples, right? It's like you're looking at something that's done pretty poorly and Mm -hmm. you have to feel like they're doing pretty well for the level that they're competing at. Right. So they're very off the beaten path. They're very, you know, one stoplight towns. They're not vacation destinations. They're not tourist destinations. But what we found so far is that people really are coming for the experience of the house itself, not for the experience of where the house is located. And so, so yeah, so we have, you know, against all odds, <laughs> great success in those areas because we're making six figures on these properties that are pulling like 50 grand a year on your DNA. That's crazy. That's awesome. I mean, but it really does speak to you. I mean, you talk about not doing it right on paper or not, you know, but in the truth, being an investor means knowing something that other people don't know or seeing something when you're talking about adding value that others may not see. And when you see an opportunity for a property that can be you know, brought to a much higher standard and bring in more than what's out there on the market comps, that to me is a good investment. That's actually a really good investment because you're seeing it in a different light than other people see it. Like similar to if a person, you know, buys a, I don't know, a retail, you know, shopping center and it comps, you know, average with everyone else, but they know that there's a specific tenant that they could bring in that could blow up the numbers that no one else had thought about before. And so it really just speaks to your, you know, your investor, I guess, mindset and and knowledge base. And so it really makes you actually much more smarter and savvy investor. Well, thank you. <laughs> Some people will look at it and they're like, uh-uh, we're not following her. And then other people are like, wait a minute, she's onto something. So yeah, it's been a really fun journey. I mean, it has been high risk, high reward, but um, we're super proud of what we've built in Michigan and we're super, you know, happy with how people are enjoying the space. So yeah, we're going to keep rocking and rolling that way, even if even if it doesn't pencil on paper. <laughs> and you keep buying? I mean, is that the goal to keep buying, investing, finding more deals, for, finding more properties that pencil out? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, 
both my husband and I and my business partner and I, all of us are very passionate about the Michigan market. We feel like, you know, Michigan is an underrated state. And right now on the market as a young person who appreciates aesthetic, when I look at the opportunity for travel in Michigan, I'm always stuck with things that look like grandma's house. And no offense to grandma's house. I just don't want to, I don't get excited about staying at grandma's house. I don't want to take an Instagram picture in there. I don't want to come back to the place. I don't want to brag to my friends about the place that I stayed at. So really, truly, we were taking what we were looking for ourselves in a market and creating it ourselves and then finding people who also had that same need. Yeah. And there are, I mean, it's a huge market. I think the millennial airbnb if that's a proper term, right? Right. Uh, is looking for that is looking for more experience also not just the design is huge but the experience i think is something you you hit on also i mean are you having amenities there i know a lot of properties will have like a game room and a you know a pool or jacuzzi hot tub whatever you want to call it and and these type of things are these type of amenities or other things i may not be thinking of that you've added to some of these properties that would be great additions to our listeners yes a hundred percent i always when i talk about airbnbs i always say the biggest impact on your roi is both design and amenities which your amenities really are part of your design if you've got a good designer. But we have to specify that, right? Because it's not just aesthetic, it's experience. And so for us, you know, in, in the Michigan market, it's like nobody wants to invest in a hot tub. And so in all three of the markets that we entered, no, literally zero hosts had hot tubs. And so we had no data proving that a hot tub was going to make a big increase on the overall ROI, but we added hot tubs to all of our markets and our occupancy is like 30 to 40% higher in the winter than any of our competition. And then we're adamant about having it be a lake house, right? We want that lakefront property. We're willing to pay more for a property that is right on the water so that they get that experience. Because at the end of the day, right, we're not in markets where people are coming for the city itself, they're coming for the property. And so the property has to have all the amenities that they want to keep them occupied for a week in the summer without feeling like they ever have to leave or, or are bored. So we are very amenity heavy. We are pro game rooms. We have a property with a speakeasy in the basement of it. We're really adamant about making sure that both in the winter and the summer, we're catering to that Michigan traveler so that they've got something to do always. That's so cool. And are people, I mean, are people coming to Michigan from out of state to to travel or or most of your, or do you even know, I mean, are most of your travelers, people who are, you know, traveling to the lake for an experience who live in state? Yeah, that's such a good question. And one that most people don't ask me, but no, we don't usually get a lot of people from out of state except for a lot of Chicago traffic. Mm-hmm. So all the people from Chicago, you know, they're three to four hours from any of our properties. And so in the summer, we get a ton of travel from Chicago. But I always tell people that, you know, I lived in Texas for seven years. My husband is from Texas. And I always tell people that Michiganders travel like Texans do. Texans love Texas. And so they travel within their state. Michiganders are the same exact way. In the summer and in the winter, they don't travel outside of the state of Michigan unless they're snowbirds. They travel within the state of Michigan. So it's like everyone in the lower peninsula travels Mm -hmm. north in the summer. Everyone in the winter wants to go and stay at a cottage that has a hot tub. So we get a ton of in-state traffic. And then our secondary market is Chicago that brings the rest of our traffic. But we really don't have anyone flying in to stay at our properties. Yeah. Well, I mean, not necessarily flying in, but I mean, it is it is travelable by, by car for many destinations. But I guess once you get there, 
going to a lake lakefront property in Michigan, you got to be close enough that it makes sense to go there. Right. You know, just a curious question, because I do have a lot of clients and people I know who own properties like in the Smoky Mountains. And it's a very big vacation destination. And people will travel there by car from like tons of other places, not necessarily by plane, but by car will travel there from everywhere. So I was just wondering if you had any data on that as well, but it sounds like you do. So that's really good. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So Sarah, I mean, I would love to go on and on and on and on with this. And we certainly could because I have like 103 more questions here, but I want to transition to the final four because we're running out of time. And these four questions I ask all my guests, I'm curious to hear from you what your worst job that you ever had was. <laughs> yes. Worst job that I've ever had to date. I actually worked at this job with my now business partner and best friend was working at a grocery store. Both Emily and I were cashiers at this grocery store and it just, I mean, it was an hourly position. It was when we were in college. And I just remember both of us standing there at the cash register side by side all day long and just being like, this is painful. This is painful. Like I can feel myself getting less intelligent by the minute standing here doing mindless work all day, every day. And I just remember that feeling like my own personal version of hell. (laughs) And Emily kind of feeling that same way. And so, you know, now looking back to have that experience with her and have, you know, that moment with her where both of us were like, this ain't it. (laughs) It really was a game changer for us. Well, and so the two of you together, you know, became really entrepreneurs together and really had that. That's amazing. You both had kind of that, that bottom experience at the same time in the same place. (laughs) Yeah, we have been inseparable for literally almost our entire lives. So we've gone through it all together. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, good for you. So second question is going to be, what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Yes. So at the very beginning, when before Ethan and I had decided, it was like post us deciding that I was going to make the money grow, but pre-deciding what that vehicle was going to look like, my husband had you know an ad popped up on his Facebook and it was for this free book that you could order, have shipped to you. And he was like, you know what? He's like, I'm just going to do it. Like, it's free. What could be the harm? He didn't even ask me about it. He orders it. He reads it. And after he reads it, he's like, Sarah, he's like, I really feel like this is something that you would enjoy. Like, this is something you could really latch on to. And I was like, sure, whatever, you know, so on and so forth. And so the book was called How to Become Financially Independent on Airbnb. And it's by Brian Page. And the bottom sentence in parentheses says without owning any property. Mm -hmm. And so for me at that point in time, actually bringing home after taxes, retirement, so on and so forth, I think I was bringing home like $32,000 a year. I was like, that sounds incredibly attractive, right? That sounds like a bite that I can take. And so, like I said, it was like a 15 page book, maybe a 30 page book. I mean, it was a one night read, but that one book, we immediately were like wheels were turning. And that's, I mean, probably within a month, we were all of a sudden down this arbitrage rabbit hole. Well, and you, I mean, I think the important thing is though, you took action, which not a lot of people do, you know, people read books all the time, but (laughs) you took action and that, I mean, speaks more to who you are as a person than really anything else. And that's amazing to see how totally, and I kind of joked about this earlier, but like a tiny little book can change the trajectory of your whole life. And yeah, it really has. I mean, you wouldn't be living in a school bus had you not read that book. 
That's so true. Yeah, there's definitely something about divine timing where it's like you have to hear the right thing at the right time to be able to implement it. And that definitely was that book for me. Wow. Awesome. So third question is what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? Yes. Skill or talent that I would like to learn. And I feel like the reason I haven't learned it yet is because my husband's so good at it that I get to watch him do it every single day. And so it hasn't really put the pressure on me to learn this. But really, truly, I think something that I've seen change a lot of people's lives and I think I could get a lot better at is sales in general. Hmm. I have a huge respect for it because my husband is an insurance salesman. He owns his own brokerage. But you know, you always have this idea around sales that it's very sleazy. You're, you know, conning or manipulating someone into making a purchase. But I've just watched my husband in particular be very intentional with the words that he uses, with making sure that he prioritizes the person that he's helping, Mm -hmm. and really watching people's mannerisms, their body language, really understanding kind of the nonverbal cues that people are giving you all the time. And he uses those skills every single day outside of his sales, you know, just in communicating with people in general and how he presents himself to the world, Mm. how other people are presenting themselves to the world and how that speaks about them. And so that whole side of things, you know, I have a huge admiration for, but I've never really dove in and like, you know, mastered it myself. So that's definitely something on my radar that I want to get better at. Well, there you go. I mean, and the truth is everyone really is in sales, whatever you do, I mean, to a certain extent. So it's just really mastering certain skills. And there are so many different ways to do it and go about it. And one thing that I think you're already doing, you're excellent at, which is just sharing your experience and sharing your journey, like what you're doing, like when you're walking through a property, you're like, hey, this is what we're going to do here. And this that's education, right? And education is actually probably the best skill when it comes to sales, because for a lot of people, they don't even know what they don't know. And they don't know that they need this service or product or something or whatever it is. But if you can educate them on it, then it's really like easy to then show them, hey, this is this can benefit you. And so I think you're already naturally good at that. So I wouldn't necessarily try to pivot too far from that approach. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's always good to hear an outsider's perspective. <laughs> I, it's true. I mean, it is. So keep doing it. And now you just got to figure out how to, you know, maybe, you know, turn it or pivot it into a sale of some sort if you are selling something. But the fourth and final question, which is what does success mean to you? Yes. That when when you were bringing these up earlier, I was like, this one's such an easy one for me to answer. For me, I feel like it might look, you know, I feel like it might look a little bit different from other investors, but really it is that freedom of time and freedom of placement, really freedom of location. You know, now that we've shown our skill set, we have investors that are lining up to give us money and we have a lot of people that want our attention and want our time. And, you know, coming from a place of like not having any investors, any experience, any money to now having investors that are willing to hand us six figures and all we have to do is move forward on it. It's been a real shift in mentality because I was, you know, in a state of money desperation to a certain degree to not having money abundance and having to say no to things that before I would have absolutely killed for. Mm -hmm. And so we've had to get really clear over the last six months on what success looks like for us to make sure that we are staying true to that. And so for me, I am just happy as a clam living in a bus in Florida, you know, parked in Walmart parking lots or in campgrounds or whatever the case may be and having 
you know, the freedom to like only work a half a day if I want to on a Monday and having the freedom to take a week off if I want to or have a mother daughter day while she's being a snowbird down here, whatever the case may be. It's just really prioritizing that time that we have that's so valuable that doesn't need to get wrapped up in work 100% of the time. I'm never going to preach about wanting to be a gazillionaire in the real estate world. Like I do not want to be a Grant Cardone. That is not my idea of success more power to the people that it is. But for mm-hmm. me, it's living a slower, more sustainable, more fulfilled life and making sure that I'm keeping the priorities, you know, that money is is a tool that I use to live my life better, not that, you know, my life is revolving around this thing. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. kind of my perspective. Love that. That's awesome. And I'm so glad that you have, you know, not a lot of people think about it too much or are too intentional about it. And they have a kind of a definition maybe they've read about or they've heard about, but it sounds like you've really taken the time to, you know, introspect on it and understand it and know what what it is that you're you're doing in life and what you're trying to do. So, so good for you. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for joining us. Lastly, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yes. So, all of the listeners can find me or find Emily and I at the Carwells on all social media channels. So, it's at T H E K A R W E L L S. It is mine and my business partner's last names combined, but we are teaching all things Airbnb over on those channels. So you can follow us in our projects that we're working on. And we really try and peel back the curtain for all of our listeners, all of our viewers to make sure that they really understand what they're getting into if they get into Airbnb. Well, awesome. Well, thank you again. It's really been awesome. This has learned a ton and I'm sure our listeners have too. So I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. This has been a blast. My pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you guys for joining all the way once again, all the way to the end. Wow. Kudos to you. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.